Do you have a technique to remember key bits of information at a cardiac arrest? Have you ever noticed how hard it can be to remember things like how many shocks you've given, the drugs you've given, how much and when, when you're too busy setting up things like the airway tree, or you might be counting compressions, or even completely out of the equation and putting on PPE? In this podcast, I'll be discussing an easy method you can use to remember these key bits of information so you don't feel out of your depth on a handover. My name's Liam, the author of the History Taking and ECG Poppy Books, and I'm here to help you feel more confident on placement. So this is something that I've developed through experience. Um, There's one particular job that made me feel like really out of my depth um, at a cardiac arrest. I was called to a patient in the mid um, confirmed cardiac arrest, and there was a passerby on scene doing CPR. Um, when I arrived, um, I was completely on my own, on the RV, and I wasn't really that confident of dealing with cardiac arrests on my own without a crewmate at that stage of my career. Um, and it was also the first time I used the corpals instead of the life pack 15. So we, we just made a transition from life pack 15 to corpals. And they trained us on the corpals around a year before they actually rolled them out to where I was. So I'd had that training a year prior. And this was the first time I was showing up to a cardiac arrest on my own with a um, defibrillator that I wasn't exactly very... Um, up to date with and, and well polished on it so I was a little bit anxious at this stage um, and obviously being in the such a young age to have a cardiac arrest so you really the pressure's really on because you really want to do the right thing at that stage and the arrest it, I mean it went okay um, initially luckily as I said there was somebody doing CPR I managed to get the pads on although the wire that connects the defib pads wasn't very long at all like to the point where you had to push the the um the defibrillator like right up against the patient and it was it was a real concern i'd heard this was the case but i didn't i was yet to get the defibrillator pads out to actually experience it and i remember getting the pads out and looking at the distance before i'd ripped open the packet i was looking at the distance between the corpals and the um and the packet of the pads and it, and it was it, there was it was literally six inches and I remember thinking surely there more wires coiled up inside of the packet so once I open it it'll uncoil and I'll have plenty of room so I was like okay that's fine as I ripped it open there was no extra coil so I was literally just stuck with this six inch gap between the defibrillator and the patient and these were just sort of the things that were going on in my head at the time being the only clinician on scene and on top of that, once I got the pads on, we managed to shock this patient. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get him back at that point. Um, and we continued with the help. I continued with the help from this passerby doing compressions. I managed to get the airway in, put an eye gel in, um, and, and do two minutes of CPR for, for another rhythm check. And it was all going okay. But the one thing that I was really struggling to track was um, when I'd done key bits of information. So when, how, when was the shock? How many shocks have I given? When did I put the eye gel in? IV, IO access time, things of that nature. And it, and being uh, the only one on scene, it, I found it really difficult to be actually performing the interventions and trying to manage it in my head at the same time and trying to remember these key bits of information that I know are going to be important later on down this job, i.e. when I'm on handover or even just when a crew backs me up. So eventually we got um, the patient into hospital. We got a ROSC with this patient, fortunately, um, and we got them into hospital and 
um, handover was so a crew had backed us up prior to this and when we managed to do a few things we actually carried over the actually helicopter actually arrived probably because of their age they picked up on this job and came out to help us out um, and we got to the hospital and at hospital as I was the first clinician on scene everybody just stepped back and looked at me to take the handover rightfully so because what usually happens is first paramedic on scene is the person that will continue the management and then the handover at the other end. Sometimes that can vary, but most of the time um, around the area that I work, that's how it tends to work. And I gave an all right handover, but there was there was lots of key information that I missed out, and the doctor was asking me lots more questions on top of that handover, which usually isn't a very good sign. And I got that feeling that I sometimes get when I don't feel I've I've done the as well as I could have done and well as I perhaps should have done as a qualified paramedic. Um, it's, some, it's a feeling I get like a, a churning in your belly. So I didn't feel particularly good after that job. Um, so I wanted to sort of chase up with the doctor that I handed over to and just have a bit of a chat and, and see if there's anything I could I could have improved on. And we discussed things like the key bits of information that they're going to be looking for, which is things you know, you'll know you already have covered most likely in your training um, or you're about to cover. Um, but and, and everything he said, I knew. But the problem I found was trying to get that information when you're on scene in the heat of the moment and trying to do about 10 things at once. So I went away and I came up with a acronym that I still use to this day to help me easily remember the key bits of information as they're happening. So when I'm doing these things and and um, a good thing to do is if you can, if you get chance, I know you don't always in situations like this, get a bit of ECG paper and you can scribble it on there. If you get to a stage where there's three or four of you and one of you can stand at the head and manage, it's a good idea to jot them down, jot these, uh, this acronym down so you can just have a good record of things as they play out. So the acronym I use is Dr. Sid. Now I've mentioned this, it's in the history taking pocketbook. So when you're on your way to a cardiac arrest, you can just prompt um, what you need to be sort of thinking about and remembering regarding the management and handover using the Dr. Sid. So you can give that a prompt on the way. So the first D stands for downtime. Now, what we mean by downtime is how long that patient's been in cardiac arrest. This might only be an approximate time because it's all a bit hectic on seeing the person that rings the job in um, usually has some active participation in doing CPR immediately. And when you ask them how long they've been down, they're probably not going to know to the exact minute if they know at all because they're quite taken back by the situation. Um, so what I like to do is if you look at the uh, the time of the job, the time the job came in, you're normally going to get the a rough downtime estimate from the time of call because that's when the, the person who's rang it in has noticed this patient's in cardiac arrest. Now, obviously, this is a little bit approximate and you might have to change it slightly if you get additional information once you're on scene, but it, that's a good starting point to remember. And if you don't get any inf other information, you can voice the fact that downtime approximately this time because it's when the call came in. So you've got a good um, time frame um, to use there. And so, the, the, so that's the first D. The, the R stands for rhythm and or ROSC. Not all, just ROSC, rhythm and ROSC. So rhythm would be your initial rhythm is an important important thing to mention. Might be a VF rhythm, VT, um, non-shockable, you might say it's PA. So you would normally say rhythm, VF arrest, VF um, rhythm on arrival. Then you can also point out the subsequent rhythms that patient was in. So then PEA or then asystole or then VT or VF three times, etc. Now, if you get a ROSC, which stands for return of spontaneous circulation, 
you can put that in the R as well. That R is used to remember both rhythm and rosk. So you can say the rosk time was at whatever time the rosk was at if you managed to get one. So that's also worth noting. So you've got rhythm and rosk for the R. So the S stands for shocks, which is fairly self-explanatory. So we're looking at how many shocks that has been performed on that patient, if at all. It might be zero, it might be three. I like to do it as a tally. So if I get a shock, I can just quickly put a little one on there on on that piece of paper um, and then at the end of it you're going to see how many total shocks the patients had um, if any at all. Um, the I stands for eye gel, intubation, IV and IO access. So the time you've put that advanced airway in and the time you've got um, the IV or IO access in. Now this is quite important because once you've got the advanced airway in and the um, IV or IO access so drugs can start flowing through you've just started advanced life support. Now the research guidelines state that if you've done 20 minutes of advanced life support and the patient is in asystole, then then their advice at present, do double double check this, is that you can stop um, resuscitation. Now this obviously has exceptions, um, things like drowning, overdose, um, pregnant patients. So do have a read of the guidelines before putting any of that into practice and have a chat with your mentor about it as well so you're familiar with the latest. Um, but that's why it's important to, to have that time of start of ALS through the eye gel or intubation and IV and IO access. So that's why that's quite an important thing to pop in. Um, and the, the, D, the last D stands for drugs given. So obviously we're going to want to track how much um, adrenaline, how much amiodarone, and if there's any other drugs that you've had to give in that situation to reverse that cause. Um, under drugs given, you can also um, prompt you to think of any other interventions you did, like things like uh, needle chest decompression or anything of that nature. So I use this in my head, like I said, and I scribble it on a bit of paper if I get a chance, and it works brilliantly um, for managing the scene, um, collecting that information so when you hand it over, you have that format to use, so, you, so you're going to nail all of the important information that they're going to want to know. Um, and it's also great to reference on your paperwork because it gives you a real structure of how you can form that as well. And again, the cardiac arrest patient report form um, section of the uh, history taking and diagnosis book, um, that's what this, um, that's what's used in this, that's this format. So for me, this has massively helped in my practice when I'm attending cardiac arrests and it just gives me that confidence to be able to form that uh, structure when I'm later going to hand over that patient. So I hope this has been helpful. Dr. Sid, to sum up, the first D is downtime, then you've got rhythm slash rosk. The S is for shocks, how many have you given, if any at all. The I is for eye gel, intubation, IV, IO, so advanced airways and access point, which starts your ALS process. And the last D is drugs given and any other intervention. So it's been really helpful for me and I hope it, you can take something positive away from this and you can pop it into your practice um, I have mentioned the History Taking and Diagnosis pocketbook that is um, available. I'll leave the show. I'll leave a link in the show notes. So if anybody wants to have a look and see what's um, within that book, then they can do, um, and there'll be a link there to access it for you.